This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello, and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Jason Goodger, Commissioning Editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. Earlier this month, NASA successfully launched Artemis One, the first of a series of ambitious missions to put humans back on the moon after a 50-year absence. The progress of the spacecraft is currently being tracked by Goon Hilly Earth Station, a large radio communication satellite based near Halston on the Lizard Peninsula in Cornwall. In this episode, we speak to Andrew Koo, Exploration Technology Manager at the UK Space Agency. He tells us about Goon Hilly's involvement with the Artemis project, UK science's involvement in Lunar Gateway, the space station planned to be put in orbit around the moon, and the future of the UK's own spaceports. So NASA has just successfully launched the Artemis 1 mission, kicking off a series of missions to put humans back on the moon for the first time in 50 years. Is it possible? Can we overstate how big a deal this is? It's a huge deal. Um, so obviously, instinctively, I say no. Let's, let's uh, state what a huge deal it is. I mean, it is really significant first step in returning humans to the lunar surface. And some people will say we did that 50 years ago. But I think what we're seeing now is quite a significant step beyond what's happened before. Um, firstly, in that we're not just returning humans to the surface of the moon we're, we're starting a more sustained presence on on the surface of the moon so rather than these missions being a there and back it's a there and stay for a while and really maximize the the scientific research that you can do on the lunar surface and yeah this is the first step in that journey the, the other thing which i think is quite exciting about the artemis program and perhaps a bit different to to the apollo program is the degree of involvement from international partners. So it's not just um, the US doing this for the US sake. Obviously, it's led initially by the US, and they have the biggest role here. But actually, they are really keen to involve international partners throughout the, not just this mission, but throughout the, the whole program. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to require uh, contributions from lots of different countries, traditional institutional players, as well as more commercial actors, so, yeah, I think it really is the start of a, a new era of lunar exploration. Yeah, great. So um, just for those who don't know, what exactly is the Artemis 1 mission going to be doing? Sure. So as the name suggests, Artemis 1 is the, the first launch in the Artemis program. Artemis 1 itself is essentially a, a test flight. Uh, so it's the first time the SLS rocket has been used, um, which is this huge new rocket, the most powerful rocket to ever be launched successfully. The Soviets did have one that was slightly more powerful, but that never that never successfully uh, completed the mission. So the the purpose is basically to test that all the launch systems work correctly, that the Orion module, now this is the crewed module which sits on top of the launch system and will actually, on future missions, carry the astronauts, check that all the systems on that work as they should, and really importantly, to make sure that the re-entry systems, so when that capsule returns to Earth, that it's safe, it can withstand the extreme temperatures that, that re-entering the Earth's atmosphere 
create. So you mentioned uh, just a moment ago that many different international parties are, are involved in this. Here in the UK, uh, Goonhilly Earth Station uh, is involved. So first off, for those who haven't heard of uh, Goonhilly Earth Station, could you explain what it is and then explain what role it's playing in, in the Artemis One mission? Sure. So Goonhilly is down in Cornwall and they offer deep space communications. So they have uh, huge dishes down there which can communicate with spacecraft way beyond Earth orbit. And they provide this service to to various space agencies and and entities around the world. For the Orion launch, um, they've been tracking the Orion capsule and also there's some CubeSats which were launched on the same uh, rocket which which Goonhilly have been tracking as well um, and are tracking as we speak, in fact. So is, uh, is Goonhilly involved in, in future Artemis missions? Yeah, and I think this, again, is one of the interesting things we're seeing in this, this new era of, of exploration is Goonhilly are providing these services not as a government-owned facility. They're actually operating privately. They're privately owned. They're a commercial outfit. And so they're selling these services to other to to space agencies so that can be through the european space agency or directly to nasa or indeed others so yeah they've got quite an important role to play there and it's quite useful that they are geographically dispersed from other sites in say the us or australia or elsewhere because it gives you that greater diversity of, of signals which yeah gives greater robustness so you mentioned there that um that goon hilly is down in the southwest and also down in the southwest we have spaceport cornwall in newquay um, and that's just become the first spaceport to be awarded a, a license to launch. That's right. Yes, yeah, uh, a really exciting development. Actually, it's something that's been been in the offing for a while, but it's quite a quite a complex thing to do, and something we've not done in the UK before. Whilst we've got quite a strong heritage in space engineering, building satellites, and, and using these satellites, we haven't launched anything into orbit from UK soil ever. So it looks like hopefully one day soon, I won't give you an exact date, but one day soon we will see the first space launch from UK soil taking off from from Spaceport Cornwall. And getting that license is really important because that demonstrates that they can do it in a in a safe and responsible manner. Um, and it's overseen by the Civil Aviation Authority who, who have um, oversight of that. So I believe the, the launch that's, um, that's planned is going to be on a, a Boeing 747. So a lot of listeners will have perhaps been on 747s themselves, but I doubt they've, they've gone into space. So h- how does that work? That's right, yes. Uh, you'd be quite worried, wouldn't you, if, uh, if you found yourself in space when you meant to be flying across the ocean? Yeah, so it's, it's a Virgin Orbit system, and it is, it's fundamentally the same as any other 747, but with one key difference and that is that it's got a, a pylon under one of the wings, so basically a big hook, and a, a launch system is then attached to that, so a small rocket uh, held under the wing of the 747. It flies out across the Atlantic, and then once it's flown an hour or two to the west, it'll release the rocket from underneath its wing, and then it then launches from midair into, into orbit. So you save some of the costs of that initial phase of of the rocket launch. And um, how about plans for other spaceports across the UK? You know, now that now that we've got the license for Spaceport Cornwall, you know, is, is this going to open the door for other spaceports? 
Sure, there's there's several sites who have announced their intention to seek spaceport licenses, which is which is really exciting actually. One of the exciting things we're seeing in the UK, which isn't being done in other countries, is we as government or space agency aren't dictating where these sites can be. We've said if you've got the location for a spaceport and you want to build and operate a spaceport on a commercial basis, apply for a license and then you can legally launch things into space. Obviously, the licensing process is quite rigorous to make sure that's done safely. But yeah, we're seeing sites, particularly in the north of Scotland, who will undertake what we colloquially call vertical launches. So that's your more traditional launch from the ground. So there's a site in Shetland and one on the north coast of Scotland in Sutherland, uh, both both bidding to yeah host small satellite launches. So you mentioned there the, uh, the the commercial angle to um, current to the UK space industry. So would you say the line between government space agencies and private enterprises is getting increasingly blurred? I wouldn't say it's getting blurred because there will always be a role for government-owned space agencies. There are certain things which only government can do and indeed only government should do. But I think we're seeing a big opening up of what the commercial sector can offer and we work closely with the commercial sector. And yeah, the role of government will change depending on what they're doing. Sometimes we're just making sure it's safe and legal. Sometimes government will procure services from the commercial sector. Well, actually, because things are becoming more routine, it makes sense for us to purchase services from a commercial provider rather than try to do it ourselves. But I think there'll always be a clear need for government, particularly in areas like what I work on in space exploration, where we're really pushing the boundaries doing cutting-edge research and exploration, which isn't designed to make a profit, but it's designed to increase our our knowledge of, of the solar system and provide technological breakthroughs. Yeah, so obviously the country's economic situation isn't looking too great at the moment. You know, How big a boost could the space industry provide to the UK economy? Yeah, so it already plays quite a big role. And for every pound we invest in the space industry, we get we see multiples return on investment in that. So it's not about one of the common misconceptions people have is that we're spending this money on space and it's just been sent off to Mars. Well, no, that money is spent in the UK. It's providing high school jobs. It's creating new knowledge. It's building new technologies, which then can be spun out into terrestrial industries. So actually, it's it's um, it's a net gain for the UK to invest in. In space technologies. So I believe that the UK is also involved in the Lunar Gateway project. That's right, yes. Yeah. So while we have an important involvement in the Artemis 1 launch through, through Goo Hilly's involvement in that, as we see the Artemis program across the next decade or so developing, we've also got a really important role to play in that. So on the Lunar Gateway, which is going to be a space station in orbit around the moon, so a bit like the International Space Station, which you're probably already familiar with, they're orbiting moon instead of the Earth. Uh, the UK is building the refueling system for that, which is a really crucial component, both for powering the gateway itself uh, and for supporting missions from the gateway down to the lunar surface. So that's a really key part where, where UK engineering is playing a role. Great. Um, are, there, are there any other exciting projects coming up that uh, you think our listeners would be interested in? So many exciting projects, um, but I wouldn't want to bore your listeners with all of them. I mean, it really is an exciting time at the moment. And just next week, we will be, along with all the other members of the European Space Agency, uh, announcing funding plans for the next phase of space exploration. 
And it, it really runs everything from kind of nuclear power technologies, which, which the UK has great heritage in, all the way through to in situ resource utilization. So this is how we use material on the lunar surface to create things like oxygen and water. And again, we've got really great capabilities in the UK there, both in industry and in our, our universities. Yeah, looking further forward to Mars as well. The UK's role building the ExoMars rover, Rosalind Franklin. I think that shows our, our great abilities in the UK for robotics and autonomous exploration of the solar system. So a big decade to come. So, I mean, would you say that the space industry in the UK has, has got a bright future? You know, are you optimistic? Absolutely. For me personally, I've, I've been in this sector for 12 years now, and I've seen it grow significantly in that time. And that's through diversifying into parts of space which we didn't do so much before, such as launch, but also through increased investment in areas like Earth observation and telecommunications, where there's, there's huge potential um, still for more growth. And I think in the UK, we have quite a healthy approach to this, this balance between government and commercial provision, which actually I think, yeah, bodes well for the future. You mentioned the tough economic climate, which, which we're in at the moment. But actually, I think we have a really good story to tell about how space can play a role in, in improving our fortunes as a country. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was the UK Space Agency's Andrew Coote. The current issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now. Pick up a copy wherever you buy your favourite magazines or visit sciencefocus.com. 